0: Thanks for tuning in to 318 Live Podcast. If this is your first time, we want you to know that you are loved. And we're praying for you. We're praying that each message will encourage you no matter what journey you find yourself in. We hope you enjoy this message. On this faith journey, there is a cost to following Jesus. There is an actual cost to following Jesus. Okay, I'm going to teach some things tonight. I may throw in some preaching, uh, but I'm going to try and teach to the best of my ability. And we look at the life of Elisha. But there is a cost to following Jesus. Luke 14, 28 says this. But don't begin until you count the cost, right? For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Right? That makes plain sense. That's logic. How many logical people are in here? Like, like if it doesn't make logical sense, you, you, need, you need to know more and you're going to do it. Okay, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that I need to make sense of. it. Following Jesus is not something you do because we simply live in the Bible Belt. Following Jesus is not something you just casually do because you live in a Bible Belt. This is called casual Christianity. Casual Christianity, when I'm counseling people and I I sit with various people, various personality types, right, and I love talking about their life. And they come to me and some, their life is so full of drama. You know, some people full of drama, their life is just drama, 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 right? I hate drama right? There, there's so much conflict. There's so much confusion. Uh, their life is just not, they're not happy. They're not, and, and I love talking, and I love, I love getting down to the nitty-gritty of the, uh, of the relationship with God, and I, and I tend to go, well, tell me about your devotion life. I, I always get to the question of, well, tell me about the moment where you surrendered your heart to Jesus. How many in the room would say, and I, and I tend to I kind of get extreme. I was like, you need a date stamp on the day that you get followed, you know, gave your heart to Jesus. And I have one of those. October 14, 2004, 8.45 p.m. I can take you to the spot. Okay, God saved me. But how many would say, like, there was a moment, there was a clear, defined moment where you said, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus came into your heart. Come on, can we give it up for people following Jesus? Can we just give God glory for what he's doing? He's still saving lives today. But I, I know I'm talking to these people, and I'm asking them, like, well, tell me about your devotion life. And they're like, well, um, uh, it's been real busy lately, right? Yeah, like, we've all been there. I, I just haven't had time to read the Bible. I haven't been able to crack open the Word. You know, I go to church, and I'm there, and I'm serving. How many understand? We've all been through seasons like that. I'm not casting stones. I, I'm throwing it myself first. We discuss their faith in God and their devotion life, and it's almost nonexistent. And the casual Christianity is basically this. It's a normal. It's normal. And how many of you know we're not meant to live normal lives? How many know that our lives are not meant to be lived out casually? I can't help. Okay, I can't help. Now, we read this word, right? We open the Bible and we look at it, and most of us have the same response. Wow, look at that. You read the book of Acts, right? You read the book of Acts and you see these crazy miracles, you read the book of Acts and you're like, how in the world did like like what is going on? And you look at it, and the standard of the Bible is like so high compared to our life. It's like up here, and we're down here looking at it, and we're starting it's like, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not going to be like Peter, bold enough to to turn to three thousand people and preach with boldness, and have and it's like you're like, I can't. That's not me. That's not who I am, right? And so many of us. I remember we were in Madagascar. We were on a mission trip. It was amazing. And it was it was the whole theme of the whole trip was living the book of Acts and and I'm going to tell you right now there were some things I saw that I haven't seen in a long time and it it, it it so it so challenged me to walk out this faith journey in the most authentic way possible that I know how and that I was challenged to not come back and live this normal life what we call Bible Belt Christianity. And so many of us in this room, we just kind of casually started following Jesus because it was the thing to do in our youth group five years ago. Because it was the thing to do when I was in school and I was part of FCA or First Priority or you were in these groups and you just said, you know what, collectively it's what everybody's doing. Collectively, everybody's coming to 318 Live for now eight years, and it's kind of what we do. And you just kind of, you just found yourself in this crowd. You found yourself relating with people, and yes, your behavior started changing. Yes, your mind started changing, but you're kind of just so far casually following Jesus. That is the normal Christian life, is to be casual. And that's not the life that God has for us, A normal life is a product of you attempting to fit in. The normal life that we're not called to live but is a product of you attempting to fit in to the culture outside the four walls. And we're simply discussing the world and its systems and its ways. If we're not careful as a church, as the body of Christ, we are going to try and be so relatable that people walk up to you and they can't tell the difference between you and you. In somebody who is out there in the world. You're trying to fit in so much so that you, for all in the case of just trying to be relatable, just so you can win your friends to Jesus. Do you know that if you were truly following Jesus and you would stand on the commitment and the truth of the word of God, that they would probably come chasing after Jesus much quicker? That if you would actually worship when it's time to worship, that you when your friends are passing the hallway and they say I got a headache and you do something crazy like, can I pray for you? Because they think you're a Christian because you say you're a Christian, but you're not really living like a Christian. You're living what we call southern casual Christianity. That's not the life that we're called to live. But if you'd be bold, if you would actually step out and put into action the things that we preach about, the things that you read about then maybe, just maybe, you would step out of this normal mundane life that you call and I will call Christianity. But that's not the Bible. When we read this thing, our lives are actually supposed to mirror what's on the inside. How many of you know that I, I don't want to bring condemnation, I want the Holy Spirit to convict me, convict you, convict all of us. To, we're striving, we're reaching for righteousness. We're never going to be like Jesus. But you know what? We can live the life that the apostles and the disciples lived and we can walk in such faith and boldness that we can see our friends come to Jesus. We can see our family come to Jesus. We can see headaches disappear, tumors disappear, legs grow out, freaky, crazy Bible stuff. We're supposed to be mirroring what's on the inside of this book. Jesus didn't halfway die so you can live a normal life. He fully died so you can live the abundant life. Can somebody shout me down? I'm tired. I need you to preach back at me. Jesus fully died so that you can fully live for him. And he's given you everything that you need to live the abundant life. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. A normal life. That's not what we're called to live. To do this right, to be successful as a Christian, we must live through the perspective of an eternal assignment. What does that mean? You don't know, and I'm going to help you. We must live every day. We must live every moment through an eternal assignment that there is more to this life than what's in front of you that every person matters. Can I tell you that I was praying with a woman? I was in Madagascar as our first outreach, and we're just, this guy Samuel is just preaching so good, and our prayer team's going out, and he's preaching with passion. This dude is a freaking amazing. Hopefully he comes in August. and can hear him. I don't know if he's coming or not. But anyways, and so, like, this guy, and I, and I start to pray, and, and this lady comes into the circle, and she doesn't really feel like, she's not feeling it, but I go to her. I'm like, hey, do you need prayer? And, and I'm with this translator, and she's with her family. And I remember looking at this going, like, like she says, I'm saved. I'm not, I'm not sick. I really don't need healing. I just need prayer. And I'm like, what do you need prayer for? She goes, my husband left me and and he wants and I'm in Madagascar I'm like this this stuff is actually really happening and 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 she says that he he went to a lawyer he's got something against me he was not going to pay the child's tuition to go to school and this is like american prayers like i'm sitting there going you're in africa and i'm like i'm like trying to comprehend everything she's saying and she begins to tell me and my heart just went out for her and i began to see her As a soul, I began to see her as somebody who who needs the breakthrough in her life. Can I tell you that God will break your heart for the lost? God will break your heart for the sick. God will break your heart for the people in need. And, And if you would just step out of your own freakishly weird, complicated life and just look to Jesus that he will give you the heart for the lost. He'll give you the heart for the sick. He'll cause you to say, I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to pray. Just step out and watch God show up on the other side. I promise you he's there. I promise you he's going to give you the words to say. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you the faith. He's going to show up, and you're going to leave that situation. Here's so funny is me and the team, we're out there, and the first day we're getting on the bus, and so many of them have never even shared their testimony publicly. But what happened? They were forced into a situation where they had to share their faith, share their story, preach the message, and next thing you know, they're fired up to go to the next outreach. Why? Because God showed up in their steps. If you would just step out of this normal Christian life, God will meet you there, and you'll see that there's more to it. But so many of us are scared. We want to sit back. We just want to be timid, right? We just want to be like, God will heal them. Like, you go, like, hey, and, and I can't stand this. I'm trying to do better at this. My pastor, Denny, uh, my pastor, that sounded weird. He's my pastor, Pastor Denny, Pastor Philip. Uh, it's his father-in-law, his SEC, and I, he preached a phenomenal message. And he was just like the power of the moment, the now, right? And he's talking about just in the moment when, when, I, when I see Eddie and he says, man, I'm really considering like what to do with life. And, and you just step out with your friend. He's like, hey, can I pray for you right now? God shows up in the now. Right, You see that stuff in the Bible where people are getting healed. It's because the apostles and the disciples showed up and they stepped in the now moment. And that's where God wants to meet many of us. But so many of us are letting those moments pass us by we're not seeing God do anything. Why? Because you're so timid. You're like, I'm just going to live this normal life. It's all good. Somebody else will pray for them. That's somebody else's assignment. No, it's your assignment and you need to step up to the plate and you need to start praying for people. You need to start discipling people. You need to start starting small groups and serving in your church and just start doing something crazy like live what the Bible says we should be living. Forgot where I was in my notes. We must live through the perspective of an eternal assignment. Listen to this. You were born on a on purpose, for a purpose, so that you could live, so that you could live on purpose. Let me say it again. You were born on purpose. You were not here by an accident. You were not here because mom and dad just had some crazy night and a couple bottles of wine. God designed your birth. God planned your existence. God knew that you were going to be born and you were going to walk in this earth. He, You were born and you were created on purpose, for a purpose. Your purpose is to take the end of Matthew and all the Gospels and the Great Commission and you're supposed to tell people about Jesus and do the Great Commission and actually go and teach them in his name, baptizing them and doing all the crazy stuff. That's what you're supposed to be doing and you are going to live on purpose. We don't live normal Christian lives. We live on purpose for a purpose. Come on. So let me challenge you. If you're not serving in your church, if, you're not, if you don't have a small group that you're leading, how many have been coming to Eight Live for uh, eight years, seven years? Raise your hand if I hit the number. Seven, oh, yeah. Six years. Five years. Keep them up. Four years. Three years. Two years. And One. Eleven months. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to keep going. But here's the thing: so many of you have been coming, so many of you have been serving faithfully at your church. But have you actually stepped out? I always say this: a complete, a complete gospel lived life. I don't know if you'll find this in the Bible. It's just Matt Tidwell version, the MTV, is that you're living a life that you have somebody, you have somebody pouring into you, leading you. Right? How many of us have mentors? You're you're being discipled. Right? That's biblical. If you're not. Shame on you. Go get discipled. Go find your pastor. Tell them to start pouring into you. Um, 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 the day I got saved, the very next day I was in somebody's living room and they were just slapping me around, getting the devil out of me. It was fantastic. I'm a product of that today, whatever. So somebody needs to be pouring into you. Somebody needs to actually be, t- like, somebody should be in your life telling you, like, don't wear that, lady. Girl, please don't ever wear that again. That skirt, that low cut, please stop posting those selfies on Instagram with the breast showing in your legs, right? Stop, try, stop Jezebel Jezebel. Just quit it, right? Like, like, that needs to be happening in your life. Somebody needs to be in your life, dudes, and stop saying, look, men, pff, don't be calling. I'm going to start calling people out now. I'm not because I'm in church, right? But here's the thing. Men, be a man. Ask her out to her face, right? Let me, let me just daddy, let me, Uncle Matt in the house, let me just, crazy Uncle Matt. Jenny calls me a crazy Uncle Matt. All right. Everything I do, she's like, that reminds me of my uncle. It's not cool, right? Just because I'm 33 and got gray on my face. Anyways, dudes, look, stop asking for her Snapchat handle. Come on, somebody. Freaking go up to her face, be a man, tell her your intentions, ask her for a number, and if she says no, get a clue. Like, for real, you just ain't her flavor, and that's okay, right? This ain't even my notes. This is for free, y'all. Like, you need somebody in your life to tell you, like, that's not okay. Then you need people beside you. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look at them. You need peers in your life. You need people that you can go cry on their shoulder, right? Come on, you need somebody you can call 2 o'clock in the morning. He unfollowed me on Instagram. uh, Like, you just need that, right? Like, you just need that in your life. But here's the other thing. It's not complete until you actually start teaching other people that stuff too. Whatever church you're in, wherever you're serving, I promise you there's a little brother and a little sister looking up to you going, is that what it looks like to be a Christian? Is that what it looks like? Is that what it sounds like to be a Christian? Because I promise you, they're looking up to you, and, and they need you today. They needed you yesterday. So we need to stop soaking up all this worship and this good preaching on Mondays with all these wonderful speakers in the church. And you need to start opening up your living room and start giving your life away to this younger generation. They need you. That's a complete Christian life. Again, that's in the MTV. You might not find that in the Bible, but whatever. You were born on purpose for a purpose So we live on purpose. You must calculate what it means to follow Jesus. The truth is you can't follow Jesus without leaving some things behind, killing some things off, and burning some things up. Let me say it again. The truth is you cannot follow Jesus without leaving some things behind, killing some things off, and burning some things up. In almost every instance when you read in the Gospels where Jesus approaches his people and he says, hey, come follow me, right? What, what, is, what are they doing? They're leaving a livelihood, right? The cost that Peter, James and John, they're leaving their family business of fishing right? Matthew, he's leaving tax collecting, right? He is like making a jack load of money. He's leaving his, his inheritance basically, the rich young ruler, the love of his wealth, right Mary Magdalene she's leaving she has she's being called to leave prostitution. For most of you in this room, Jesus is not actually calling you to, like, vocationally go into full-time ministry. Now, if that is the case, that's amazing, that's awesome, because we need more of you, right? But the truth is, many of us, if not all of us, he is calling you and challenging you to leave behind whatever it is that you would follow more than following him. He may not be calling you to be the freaking guy or lady with the microphone worshiping, right? Right? or preaching, or, or doing the transition, or, did, or whatever it may be. Can I just stop? Let me put a pause on this real quick. Get some water. We got time. Jenny said four hours. I said, perfect, we'll make it five. Some of you have been asked to serve. Some of you have been called on in this room on Monday nights to come help stack chairs, set up, greet, do whatever. And many of you have been called, and some of those people aren't even here right now. But some of you are listening to me right now. But the moment they say, hey, you're going to preach Monday night, hey, you're going to do the transition, you're going to do the welcome. See, you get asked to stack a chair, and my boss won't let me off work. I can't change my schedule. I'm sorry, can't be there. You get asked to hold a microphone. Pff, I quit my job. I'm there. Come on, am I telling the truth? You might be called listen but there's certain things that you need to get over. He's saying follow me. There there there's some dying to self that needs to happen. And I believe in our generation, yes, I am a part of this generation. There is a lot of things that need to die. There's a lot of things you're going to have to let go of and leave behind because if you are too if you are too big to serve, you are way too small to lead. If you are too big To serve, you are way too small to lead. Thank you, Keith Craft. Not mine, that's his. I'll take it. Own it. You can cut it out of the podcast. You can just quote me. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. It's plagiarism. But for all of us, Jesus has challenged us to leave behind whatever it is that we would follow more than follow him. Tonight, as we get back to the text, finally, tonight as we look at the life of Elisha, And his ridiculous response. How many would you say, like, that dude's personality must have been just thrown off? Because if I'm Elisha, if I'm the guy, somebody's throwing his stinky coat on me, and I'm right here, and I'm like, okay, what just happened? Right, now, you want me to follow you? Like, he kind of, I can see myself in the story because... He goes to him and he says, he goes, well, let, let me go tell mom and dad goodbye. Let me go do this. Let me go take care of my business. And Elijah's like, what did, I you? what did I do to you? Like, no. Like, that's not what I want you to do. But he ends up going back and he does something pretty ridiculous. It's a ridiculous response. And so tonight we're going to look at one invitation to follow that has three different truths that we need to take in tonight. Okay? You with me? Is this okay? If I teach this, talk about this? Tonight we're going to look at one invitation Elisha's invitation to follow and pursue the calling of God on his life. But it's going to have three different truths. And before I get in tonight, I want you to keep in mind, there's a fantastic friend of mine, uh, I think it was Daniel too, and so a couple people kept telling me. It's like within a week I heard about the same message. Pastor Robert Morris, if you don't listen to Pastor Robert Morris, an amazing pastor, man of God at Gateway Church, and he did a, a, a message that I listened to uh, at a men's summit, and it talks about the difference between called and sent, right? It's so good. It's so bro, it changed like it changed like some thinking and some things up here. Thank you. And all my friends that told me about it. It was like I went listening. I'm like, oh my God, was amazing. So preface before I get into this, we are talking about the call of God. And there's some things I'm gonna dissect, and we're not gonna go through all the nuances and details of the passage, but you need to know that there is a calling on your life, but you may not be in the season to be sent out into that calling, okay? So there's some things that you need to learn in your calling you know you're called how many know you're called to go into ministry come on that's good if you know like some of you are like, well I don't know no extend your elbow right like yes own it right okay some of you are like I don't know if I. what does that even look like that's okay if you don't know but listen in the calling I can remember reading my Bible I can remember reading my Bible guys and I'm sitting here and this is 2004 it's like November I can I went back because I timestamp stamp everything I'm weird like that. And so I wrote in my notes, and I'm reading my Bible, and I had this weird moment where I'm just, like, reading, I'm daydreaming. Come on, how many have read, like, four chapters, and you look up, and you're like, what did I read? Like, did I even focus ADD? Mom, get the red Like, it's just like, and so here's the thing. I'm reading, and I'm like, God, oh, my, and I don't even remember. I was reading Romans. I read Romans for, like, six months. It was weird, but I couldn't get out of it. I just love Romans. And so I'm reading this, and I envisioned myself With my hands being used and people were getting healed, like in this blackout vision from God, I'm having this moment of God's calling of my life. And I'm preaching and I'm discipling people in my living room. And it was like a split second. How many have had a calling moment where you just knew, okay, God's got a plan for my life. It's going to be ministry. It's going to be something and it's crazy, right? I remember having that. But it wasn't until like years later until it actually started coming into fruition, you look at everyone's life in the Bible, right, especially David. I love talking about this, talked about it last time I was here. But David, he was on the back side of the hill, and he was sitting there dancing in sheep dung, right? He gets, he gets distracted, and he gets called back into the house, and Jesse and all the sons are there and his brothers, and they're like, okay, you're going to be the king. He's like, what? I'm just hanging out with my sheep. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go back. Well, what does he do? He goes back tending to his sheep. So there's a moment where you're called, and there's a revelation that you're called, but then there's another moment that you're sent. And so many of us in this room, you need to get this, that there are some serious things that God is wanting to iron out in your life before you're ever sent. And you are going to have to stop rushing the sent moment and realize, yes, I'm called. Rest that you're called. Praise God that you're called. Stop telling people that you're called. Stop, stop saying, well, he just doesn't understand my anointing. Hey, they should ask me to be a prayer leader. No, they don't shut up, sit down, and just serve. Like I'm, I know I'm called to preach. So what? Grab a broom. There's your microphone. right? I'm call, I know I'm anointed. Stop looking at porn on Instagram. I know I'm anointed. Stop showing your skin. like whatever it is, like understand yes, you're called but you're you're extending the scent moment because you're not submitting to the calling. God's not I mean God's used some some jackasses in the Bible, right? Matter of fact, jackass, I mean, his Bible is a donkey. I'm not trying to cuss for the sake of cussing. But here's the thing. God, in a moment, you can't stop God from doing that. But what you need to do is stop, surrender, serve, okay, until God sends you, okay? Now let's get into the text. Elisha, I've taken five rabbit trails tonight. We're looking at one invitation with three truths that we need to grab a hold of tonight. And here's the first thing. God is inviting you to a higher calling. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're looking down, I hope it's not social media, lean into the word of God tonight. Pay attention tonight. God is inviting you to a a higher calling. Verse 19. So Elisha went up from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he went plying with the 12 yoke of oxen and himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Stop. Most of you in this room are not in danger Of ruining your life. Let me just stop right here. Like whatever job you've got, whatever you're going through, whatever you're doing, you're not really in danger of ruining your life. Here's the truth is that most of us are in danger of wasting our life. But there's somewhere in the middle, you got to understand that you're in the calling, like you know you're called, you know you're supposed to be doing something greater, right? But you're not in danger where you're currently at. Stop being so eager to go to the next season. I remember looking to the left and the right and seeing men, uh, men and women in my life excel in ministry. They've got platforms. One of, my, one of my longtime friends is like preaching all over the world right now. And for a long time, I became zealous and jealous, I mean, and just got so overwhelmed. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, God, why can't that be me? And the truth is, I just needed to chill out, and I really just needed to focus on this, and I needed to understand that, that, that I'm going to waste my life if I continue to look up there. I need to look right now what's in front of me and be efficient with what God's put in my hands. Elisha plowing his oxen. With his oxen, he's doing the work that God has called him to do. He wasn't searching for a great calling. He wasn't looking and waiting. He was doing what he knew to do. Elijah was doing what he knew to do by plowing his fields on the backside of an oxen, which is not a pretty sight. But when you read the Bible, you see what God's call on people's life. There's a common theme, that God's call, the moment you're sent, God's call is an interrupting call, isn't it? It should be interrupting your entire life. And I can remember how it interrupted my life. But if you look at the Bible in Amos, He's a prophet of the Old Testament. You look, he was tending to his herd, and he was planting his fig trees, and he was just hanging out, doing what God called him to do. And then, bam, God interrupts him with a call for his life. David, as I said, he was tending to his sheep. And next thing you know, he's got oil, and he has no clue. Like, what's going on, God? And And then, like, it's an interrupting call. Then now something profound is happening to his life. You look at Elisha. He was tending to his fields, and he was plowing with his oxen. It interrupts your plans. It interrupts your careers, and it interrupts your life as it should. I think there's something that the Bible is trying to tell us. So many of you are eagerly waiting on God to call you into something greater than what you're currently doing. And the heart behind of your eagerness is so good. Thank God that you're ready. But it was time to calm down, chill out for a minute. Let me ask you a question. Are you serving your resume or serving God? Let me ask you this question. Are you serving your resume or are you serving God? If you're serving your resume, which means you're only seeking out positions that will better your life and your resume and what looks good on paper, how many know what I'm talking about, that's selfishness, right? That's all for you. But if you're serving God, then you're selfless and you're serving other people, you're serving, you're discipling, you're doing what the Bible says to do, right? Right? If you will serve God, your resume will be built on its own. But if you serve your resume, serving God will always be frustrating, Let me say that. If you will serve God, your resume will grow organically and on its own. But if you serve your resume, serving God will always be frustrating. Always be frustrating. I can remember the call of God typically comes when you least expect it. But I can remember that when I got saved, um, um, nobody really taught me this. There was one man, there there was two guys in my life that really poured into me early on in 2004. When I radically got saved, I'm coming from a life of selfishness. I mean, I'm talking drug addiction, alcohol. Many of you can relate. My testimony is not any greater than anyone else's. My life was just going to hell, and my eternity was at risk, and I was just, I had no hope. But then when God saved me and set me free and delivered me, I can tell you that, when I experienced what I experienced in October Fourteenth, Two 2004, at 8.45 p.m. at the square foot of carpet I can take you is in the sanctuary, it would have been like right around here. I'm like snot bubbles, crying. I'm just like, the altar call hasn't been finished yet, and in front of like 1,300 people, I grabbed my girlfriend's hand, I ran to the front, I was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, but I need to give Jesus my life, and I remember doing that. And so I go, in the next day, I'm waking up, and I'm like, I, do, I, like, I can't even explain what God did. But all I know is I have this new desire, I have this new desire to just serve the house of God. And now I began to look at the church, the four walls, the actual church building is a safe refuge. And I began to say, I want to spend all my energy and efforts there. And I was, I was a bartender, and I was, I was working at this predominant bar, and I was making all this money, and I couldn't wait to get off work, to run. I would take as many shifts off as I could just to go to the house of God and serve. And one of my best friends, he was cleaning toilets. on the maintenance staff, and he's cleaning toilets, and I could not wait to go clean a toilet. He was vacuuming and setting up for the youth and setting up for all these meetings, and I was so eager to go do everything that he was doing. I could not wait to go serve in the house of God. But I remember just being so eager, and in those moments where I was serving, right where I was was the moment I got the call to go into vocational full-time ministry. Full-time ministry is not a real thing. It's vocationally, yes, but we're all called to be in full-time ministry, right? Reconciliation, that's what God tells us. You ever been to Walmart? You ever been to Walmart and it's like you you are looking for a, a Walmart worker. Like if you work at Walmart, I'm sorry, but yes, I'm calling you out. Here's the thing. I, I, every time I go to Walmart and I need a piece. Right now my, my wife's handle, shower, whatever thingamajig—it's the hot side, not the cold side. I got to remember that because I got to go by there and get this part and I haven't yet. But I was there the other day and I'm looking. I'm trying to find this thing. I'm looking around and I'm like, man, I don't want to leave this spot because I think that's what I need to ask her about. And so I'm looking. I'm like going around every aisle. And I'm like, hello, hello, hello. Is anybody there? Right? Because you go to Walmart and the moment you need somebody, you can't find nobody. Come on. But the moment you know, you walk up and you're like, there's my part. Right? And the moment you're picking it up, checking out the price, five people behind you work at Walmart, walk by, go, hey, can I help you? And I'm like, I don't need you right now. But where where were you yesterday? Like, that's so frustrating. And, and like, (laughs) it's so funny because so many guys. We'll talk and they're they're looking for the one, right? Or ladies, you're looking for the one. And isn't it so true? And it is for me that the moment like you're searching, you're like you're on the prowl. Like you show up to three minute live, you got the best cologne, right? Pressed your shirt, pressed your jeans, and you're just like, I'm gonna find her tonight, right? Like he's gonna notice me tonight. Look at this, right? Like trying to go so fly. And then they can't find nobody, right? Can't find nobody. But the moment you just start seeking God, it's like they will not leave you alone. It's so weird how that happens. But let me tell you, a little side note, just seek God, shall come. Seek God, He will come. Stop looking around. This is not a dating pool. This is not where you come to hit on each other. It's where you come to worship God and be a curse. Amen, right? Come on. And all the ladies said. And why is it, soapbox again? I'm sorry. Let me go here. Why is it that I talk to some of my friends that are females? Guys, pay attention. I ain't hating on my kind. Look, I've been where you at. I know what it's like. The struggle is real when you're single. But there is a common denominator, and they say all the same things. I just don't think he's in Shreveport. I just don't think he's here. I'm like, well, what about, like, your church? What about they're just too weird. And I'm like, give us a break. We can't hate a brother for trying, right? I don't even know why I'm talking about this. This is so fun because the look on your face is like, say that. All the ladies are like, yes. <sighs> My wife made me say that. Okay. All right. But the call of God typically comes when you least expect it the moment I was pushed in, and I was sitting, I remember Pastor Denny for years, I'm serving faithfully, we got, it's called the crew, it's not even exist anymore, and it's a shame that's not there, but there was this ministry, we went to a stage design, and I'm gonna start it, and the Jones came in, and we're like, we're gonna serve the DeWitt Jones and Kid Jones, my wife was like, we're gonna serve them, and so I just had this stage team, this production team, camera crew, and all. we got like 35 people in this team, and I'm traveling in sales, and I'm, I'm spending more time in hotels than I am at my house, covering five states, but I'm eager to get back home, and I'm serving faithfully, Pastor Denny's like, man, man, this dude is kind of serving, da-da-da. And I'm not too my horn, but I'm just kind of being honest with you. And uh, he came and approached me. He was like, hey, what do you think about going to youth ministry? I'm like, I can't stand teenagers, right? Like, this was, sorry, this was like eight years ago. I love you guys. This is my four students, right? I love you guys. Uh, but, but at the time, I was like I was like 18, 19, and I had like 20, 30-year-olds, and, and we were all hanging out in my living room, like 20, our small group was huge, and we're, I'm just preaching all the time, loving on people in the season of life that many of you are in now, and he's like, go to youth ministry. I'm like, I can't stand it. they stink, da, da, da I'm not gonna do that. Like, And I'm like, and I never went into youth ministry. And, my, and true story, my first... Youth meeting that I ever attended was as a youth pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. So I had no clue what I was doing. But I remember looking back at that season going, golly, talk about an interruption. I was traveling, making money and sales, loving life, just, oh, yeah, and I'm serving the house of God. I'm doing what God has put in front of me. I'm doing everything I know how to do, ba ba and then, bam, the call of God comes on my life, interrupts everything. When I least expected it, so noted. In the Bible, it happens all the time. It happened with me and it will happen with you. Focus on what God has right in front of you right now. Focus on what God has for you right now. Serve faithfully. There is a ministry at your church and it hasn't started. You need to go start it. Ask your pastor. Get his blessing and start doing something for this city. Start discipling people. Start serving your church. Serve your pastor. If your pastor ain't got nobody to carry his Bible, even if it looks weird or sounds weird, go carry his Bible. If his wife, it's raining outside, get her key if she trusts you. That's kind of weird. Don't, yeah, don't do that. Go get her key. Pull it up under the pavilion if it's raining. Like, do what you can and serve with passion. Serve faithfully. And then God will take you from where you're at to where you desire to be. I promise you it will happen that way. God's calling happens in a moment, but your response is what accepts the invitation. Also, you should know that God's calling doesn't always mean a change in where you're at. Sometimes it means having a change of attitude in where you're at. Okay, sometimes it doesn't mean that God's going to call you to go to the nations, right? All my missionaries, where are you at? You love missions. Missions is your way of life. Cannot wait. Okay, we need more missionaries. Like two of you, raise your hand. Okay, they need you. We have to go into the mission field. Please go to the nations. Desire right now. Go. But here's the thing. It's not going to call you. You're, you may not be called to be a public speaker. You may not be called to be a worship leader. Sometimes God is just calling you to have a change of attitude in where you're currently at. Grab a hold of that. Ask God. Let the Holy Spirit convict you. God inviting us to a higher calling means difficult decisions. Second point tonight is this. God's invitation to us means a deeper surrender. A deeper surrender. It's 830. For real, how much time do I got? Seriously, I could go all night. Okay, I'm good. Thank you. She said keep going. Keep preaching, white boy. Just keep going. I'm just kidding. God invites us to a deeper surrender. Verse twenty through twenty-one. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. He burned plow and equipment, took the meat, gave it to his people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha and became his servant, when Elisha accepted this invitation to follow, he left nothing for himself to go back to. He left nothing for himself to go back to. This accepting God's invitation literally, literally burning everything that tied him to a life of good enough. And that's something we need to take tonight. He literally, talk about a ridiculous response, he literally burned everything that tied him to a life, his life, that was now good enough. It was just good enough. I remember in a season, I was praying, seeking God, I was doing my best to live the casual Christian normal life, and I had a dream one night, I love dreams, I don't have them that often, um... And I remember I had this dream. It was kind of crazy. It was your typical, like, basic dream. God was speaking to me. But I remember uh, I went to bed, and in my dream, I'm sitting there, and I hear a knock on my door. And for somehow, some way, I know that it was Jesus. And I open my eyes. I get up in my dream, and I look up. And, he, and Jesus is trying to come into my door. He's trying to come in and commune with me. And I don't know all the secret meanings of spiritual dreams. I just remember Jesus wanted to come hang out. But he couldn't because I looked on my floor in my dream and my floor was full of messes. My floor was, had clothes and stuff. Some probably looks like some of your rooms right now. Like it's just crazy nasty. And he couldn't even open the door because the barrier, like there was something there. And I remember waking up out of my dream and I remember kind of panicking. I was like, man, that was weird. I knew Jesus was on the other side. He wanted to come hang out with me because, because my life was a mess. I look at my floor, spotless. If you know me, spotless. Like, there is nothing. Jenny knows, spotless. Like, my house is going to be in order. My office, like, I'm weird, OCD, compulsive. I've got tragedy in the past. So it's probably tied to why I'm in the bam. I don't know. Personality types, I'm self evaluating. Anyways, and so I'm looking at this and I'm like, I'm like, Wow, there's not, like, what does that mean? And I remember walking and I opened up my closet and I'm praying. I'm like, God, I'm looking in my top, of my, I'm looking underneath my bed. How many have those those old notes? Like, I don't know if it's even a thing. Sorry, I'm sh- my age. I don't, it may be a thing. I don't know. But, like, you folded the note real weird with a little tab, but you keep it. You got a shoebox full of all your friends, a girlfriend, and boyfriend notes from like grade school, right? Does anybody do that anymore? Is that, dude, straight up said, <laughs> appreciate you, bro. <laughs> Honesty. <laughs> That's one of our house habits. We practice honesty here in North Point Community Church. <laughs> I was so, I'm so glad. He's like, nah, bro. We, like, Snapchat each other now. I'm like, dang. I was playing Snake on my black and white Nokia. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, what? Come on, somebody. What was I? What are we talking about? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> what was it? My dream. Yes. And so I had my dream. Thank you, Ellis. With the win. 10,000 points for the red team. (laughs) Sorry, my brain's still at camp. And so I'm sitting there, and I look, and I look in my box. I'm like, there's a box. Like, at this point, like, I'm engaged. Like, I've got my wife coming, like a good thing, and I'm sitting there. But I saw this box, and it had all this, this old stuff. Like, I moved multiple times in my life. And I remember looking at this box going, there is so much stuff in there. Let me look at it. When I tell you, it has some scandalous notes from some scandalous chicks I knew from something. I'm just like, dear Lord, burn it, right? Like, I'm sitting there like, this needs to go. Like, old pictures of us partying, I'm like, needs to go. So I'm like, okay. So I start feeling something. I'm like, well, maybe there's more. And so I go to the next box. I'm like, dear God, I'm a heathen. Why do I keep this? And so I'm looking at it. And Then I go to my DVD collection, and I'm looking at it. And I'm, okay, I ain't, I'm going to, sh- Shame the devil tell the truth in church. I love Friends, the TV show. Is there anybody in the house that love Friends? Come on. But the truth of the matter is, it's a six people, and they're just living this sinful life. They're just, like, hanging out, sleeping with each other, drinking, Ross is an idiot, Joey. I have so many great episodes. I just love I could quote Friends all day long. Absolutely one of the greatest shows ever, right? So good. Side note, soapbox, tangent. Whatever. I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, bartending. It's, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. and Or, no, it's not 2 It's, like, 5 o'clock in the evening. And I remember, like, Friends was ending, y'all. And I was, like, 10th tenth tenth season. I'm sitting there freaking out. I'm on my shift. Like, I'm on macho, like, bartending, like, cocktails with Tom Cruise. Like, I'm, like, flipping bottles, making money, hitting the ladies. Hey, you know, I'm just, like, doing my thing. And so I'm, like, and I go to the hallway where this TV was. No joke. No lie. I'm sitting there. And TV is on and Friends is airing. And it's their final episode. In their Did y'all watch the final episode? You know what I'm talking about? So they start putting the keys on the counter. Bro, I started crying so hard. Dudes, don't judge me. You know you cry. I'm a crier. I cried everything. Hallmark comes on. Brittany's like, stupid. I'm like, don't turn it yet. It's so good. <laughs> They're reconciling their marriage. It's wonderful. She found her dog. Oh. I'm an idiot. I love it. But I remember going through, and I'm like, I'm see, I got my my friends' collection, like every season, y'all. Like this was so hard. I like thirty dollars a pop, like Walmart came out sixty bucks a pop. Like I don't know how much they are No, They're free. You can pirate them, I guess. I don't know. But I remember, and I remember, and God spoke to my heart. He was like, clean it all, and I was like, the devil is a liar. I'm like, I ain't throwing that away. He's like, no, you want more of me, less of that. The notes, the movies the DVDs, the things that were just kind of good enough, not horrible, not really fading and tainting this water, but it was just there, and I remember going, I got in my car, right, when visors and CDs were cool, right, and I got my selection, right, shut up, don't judge me, and so I got my CDs, and I'm still like Candlebox, right, who, who loves, okay, come on, dang, showing your age, calm it down, okay, I'm just kidding, Candlebox is so good, right, and I'm listening to all these, these, this music, and as I was just getting there in my head, and I'm like, I'm like, I kept struggling, like, man, God, I just want more of you. It's like, well, quit worshiping Candlebox and, and, and U2 and all these great bands and start worshiping me. And so I'm like, I'm going to throw away the CD. Y'all went on a tangent. I'm taking too long with the story. Like, I went so crazy and just started throwing everything away. And the more I did that, the more I realized what that dream meant. And that was the fact that God wanted to be more involved in my life, but yet there was no room for him because I kept entertaining these things. I kept, I kept harvesting these things and keeping them in. And when I was just kind of not feeling God, I'm going to put on season two, episode three of Friends and laugh hysterically, right? Right? I'm going to go put on that CD, turn the windows down and make the loop and just enjoy music, Right? But what I needed to be doing was seeking God in that season of my life. What I needed to be doing was worshiping him, not Chandler Bing, right? Like I really, like, I really needed more of him. And so what is was speaking is that I needed to burn my plows. I really needed to get rid of the life that was good enough. God isn't waiting on you to be perfect or even ready to follow him. Listen to this. He wants you to remove any and fully trust him, anything and fully trust him as you move forward. You must make the decision to leave the things of the world behind you and placing the cross before you. What plows, what plows are God calling you to burn? Elisha burnt his plows. What plows is he asking you to burn? What ways of thinking? What relationships are tainting your walk with God? What old habits are still there that need to be gone? How can we identify the plows? What habits and relationships are you falling into that are not good for you? It's as simple as that. What habits are not causing you to grow as a Christian? What ways of thinking and what relationships are pulling you out of the church or out or distracting you from truly seeking God? God has invited us to a deeper surrender. And the truth is, a deeper surrender means painful separation. A deeper surrender always means painful separation. you can come up and play the keys. We're going to hit the point three, and we're going to land this plane in about 58 minutes. You enjoying the word tonight? We are going to land the plane. We're going to get there. And so as you consider what this defining moment is going to look like for you, I want you to consider and rehearse the things in your heart right now that are holding you back. Third point is this. God is inviting you to a higher calling, with a higher calling. And if you accept that, then he's going to call you, right, and invite you into a place of deeper surrender. And if you do that, then the third thing is that he is inviting you to the abundant life. If you can accept the calling and, and be diligent and faithful with the calling. And you can be honest enough and make those hard decisions to surrender more. Then you can now step into the abundant life that he has for you. Jesus said that you would do greater things in him. But we would only do these greater things through him. You're not gonna do things on your own and they be great. You're gonna do things on your own. You're going to work your way in relationship and to the call of God for your life and you're gonna, you're gonna try and do things on your own without God leading you and they're just gonna be good. They're just gonna be good. There's gonna be nothing abundant about it. But if you accept the call and deeply surrender the things that you're so holding to that are not of God, you could step into the abundant life. John 14, 12 says this, very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. If God takes something from you or removes something from you, or a situation that you thought was good, he's actually inviting you to a situation that's much greater. He's inviting you if you feel like, man, I can't do that, God. We have been together for three years. Do you know how much of an investment I made into her? you know how much money I've spent? Dude, that's a real struggle. You spend all that money, and she's like, peace. And you're like, oh. You know how much time we've been doing? You know how much on that craft, that ability of mind that I've been doing? God wants that surrender. He wants you to give it up. He wants you to surrender these things. He wants you to step into greater things for your life. God wants your open-ended obedience to follow him tonight. He's inviting us to greater things, and greater things require action, decisive action. Greater things always require decisive action. The path to something greater always goes through the valley of surrender, sacrifice, and service. The path to something greater goes through the valley of surrender, sacrifice, and service. Once Elijah followed Elijah, once he signed on, once he said and gave God his yes, he had to burn his plow. He had to slaughter his oxen. He had to go through this tough decision. He wouldn't be tempted to go back to his old life. He had to rid his life of everything that represented the life of good enough. What is holding you back? What are you flirting with that's good. And if you read the Old Testament, for all of eternity, God cannot double date with sin. In Isaiah, he said, Because of your iniquities, I hid my face from you. What are you flirting with? What are you playing with? What are you holding on to that feels good, looks good, and sounds good? But is it God? Because he wants to be so involved. He wants you to walk in the abundant life. If he's removing you from something that you said is good, it's because he's trying to take you into something that's great. Some of you, if not many of you, have been on this faith journey for some time. In a message like this, you may ask, well, why are you sharing something so basic and simple? Because I believe many of us are living this casual Christian normal life, and you're not seeing the abundance that the Bible talks about. You're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit. You're not seeing the things that God promises us, and I believe many of us are struggling with some of this tonight and on this faith journey because you've been, you've accepted the invitation, but you haven't truly counted the cost of following Jesus, and because you didn't, there's some baggage from your life of good enough that you're going to carry around the rest of your life the baggage from the life of good enough there's another story in the new testament where peter right when simon peter james and john they get called to follow jesus right what were they what was their what was their career they were fishermen right so they're being called, right? They're being called to follow Jesus. And because he cast his net on the other side, the Bible talks about how that he cast his net to the other side. And they caught this abundant of fish. And so He, Peter knelt down and he said, you are Lord and I'm going to follow you. And, and uh, some Zebedee, James, and John said, we're going to come with you. Oh, my God, this is Jesus. He's a miracle worker. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah that we've been talking about. And they decided to sign up, right? They've been called of God to follow Jesus and they're saying, okay, I'm going to do this. What I love about this story in comparison to Elisha is this, is that after three years of seeing all these miracles, after three and a half years of seeing the Son of God, imagine walking with Jesus for three and a half years. Imagine being this person who has seen, first person, seeing God do the miraculous. And then at the end, At the end, Jesus, for the third time, appears. He is crucified. He shows up in spiritual form, right? And he shows up and he appears to the people. He appears to his disciples. And the third time it says that he showed up to to Peter. And the scripture says this. This is crazy. The passage in in the New Testament says that after the ascension, and they haven't seen Jesus yet, it says this. Guys, Peter basically paraphrasing. Peter says, I don't know what y'all are doing, but uh, I'm going back fishing. I'm going fishing. It may seem simple and you don't really get it yet. But James and John said, you know what? Good idea. We're kind of bored. Jesus ain't here. Let's go fishing. So let me stop there and just say this. Why was it that Peter decided to go back fishing? Can you imagine seeing the miracles that they saw? Can you imagine? Like, can you just, in your mind's eye, Christ, do what he did, and then have the nerve, the audacity to go back to the life of good enough? Here's, you won't find this in the passage. In fact, you won't read this in any translation. If anybody like theologians won't tell you this, but there's something I see in the Bible or something I don't see. And that's when, when Peter decided to drop his nets and follow Jesus initially. It said that he drug his boat up to the shore and he left his career to follow Jesus. So number one, yes, we need to do that. We need to follow Jesus. Whatever he's calling you away from, if it's good, he's calling you to something great. But here's what I think Peter did. I think Peter tied his boat up at the dock and said, just in case it doesn't work out, just in case I kind of get sidetracked, there's something to go back to. And can I tell you, That's also a ridiculous response. But the response tonight that I'm I'm pushing for, I'm not going to emotionally push you to make a decision tonight. But I want you to look at the two men in the Bible and say, Elisha, his ridiculous response out of obedience to burn his plows, to slaughter his oxen, represented that he said, I am this life is good enough. It's providing for my family. It's providing this field you're growing crops, and it's so good. But it's not good enough, and there's no way I can go back to that life. And so what he does is he he this old title to a message. He burns. His plow, Signifying that there's no way I'm going back to that life of good enough. That what God has for me is greater than I can ever imagine. What he is calling me to is more fulfilling than the backside of 24 oxen, right? Whatever you're doing, whatever's in your hand, he's going to call you one day. He's going to call you, and some of you, he's calling you out of that relationship right now. He's calling you out of a way of thinking. He's calling you out of these old habits. And he's saying, come to me, what I have is greater than what you're flirting with right now. And you're so like, I don't know, your personality is like, I need the details. Like, I wanna know, like, give me the plan, right? Like, it's not some mathematical equation that you can say, if I say yes, and I do this, like, right, you put in 50 cents, you hit A17, you get the icy white, like, honey bun. I love, I, oh, I had one. I can't, I can't, come on, Spence. Shout me down when I'm preaching good. Honey bun, somebody. I am so hungry. Anyways, and so what happens is we think that there's this equation that we can plug into and go, if I do steps A, B, and C, then I can have D, and that's not how God works. And so many of us have our boats tied up at the dock. And you're looking over your shoulder going, I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then in your mind, you're like, but that boat's still there. And I got plan B. Do you know why so many people aren't walking into the abundant life? Is because they're constantly living in plan B. Plan B is still there. There is no plan B in my life. It's only plan A, and that's to follow Jesus. The only plan I have in my life is to surrender all, to cut the ties from everything of my life that's good enough. And that's what God is calling you to tonight. Stand with me all over this place. Peter went back fishing. He went back to the life of good enough. He went back to the familiar. He went back to the familiar. He went back to the life that he knew. So many of you know your life so well. And you're still peering off and dreaming about the life God has for you. And I can tell you right now, you can step in that tonight. You can step into that life tonight. But it's going to take an acceptance to the invitation to a higher calling. that's way beyond and above the life that you're living for some of you. Just being honest. Some of you, you're serving God faithfully. You accepted this. And you're like, praise God, preach it. This is a good reminder. Thanks, Matt. But some of you are like, I don't know how to do that. I need the plan. I need the Ikea instruction sheet, right? that's from the pit of hell. It's horrible. And then some of you, some of you are like, I don't know if I can surrender that deep. Like, I don't know if I can, man, my boat looks good right now because this faith thing ain't working out. I've been praying for my breakthrough, and my breakthrough ain't here, God. So I may, in about three months, if you don't show up, go get my boat and go fishing. What's crazy about that story is that when Peter went back fishing, he cast his net and to to no surprise, there was nothing in the nets. Self-sufficiency is inadequate. Anything you do in your own good will and right will produce no thing. There's nothing you can do in your own will and your own efforts is gonna be good enough, equal, or better than with the life that God has for you. You know what Peter should have done? He should have chopped up his boat, started a bonfire just like Elisha. Now the, the gospel is good because God, he got him back, he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yeah. Peter, because he denied him three times and now, he, now God's good, right? Tonight, God is good. You may have denied him, you may be holding on to some stuff, but he wants your full surrender. He wants your full, all-out surrender to God. Elisha had a ridiculous response, but that's the response that God is looking for. You don't need a plan. You don't need all the steps, one, two, three. He just says, come, follow me, drop everything, start a bonfire, and pursue him. You may say that's radical what did i say casual christianity you look at the word and you read it and like man i don't man that's crazy that's some bible days right walking around the desert everybody looking scandinavian looking crazy cool like like i showed up in the desert but he ain't gonna show up for me no he wants to show up for you he wants to give you the life that you read about he wants to give you this thing but you're going to have to surrender all Year 1519, there was a Spanish explorer, Mr. Cortez. Many of you have heard about him. He had an entourage of about 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. And the population, when he set sail for Mexico, was approximately 5 million. So purely mathematical standpoint, he was outnumbered to say the least. The odds were stacked against some 7,541 to one. Just reading my notes, telling you this story. Cortez did something that went down in the history books. He got there, and then he got a plan. He got to the shores, and he told his people. He said, gather around, gather around, gather around. We're going to do something crazy. We're going to let the devil know. I'm going I'm to go back in and out, right, make it spiritual, and then I'm going to tell you the facts, the history story. He says, we're going to let our enemies know tonight, you're going to let the devil know. He says, we're going to do something crazy, y'all. You know all them boats that got us all the way over here? We're going to burn them all. And you know some dudes were up in there going, Cortez, you've been drinking too much tequila, homie. Like, Like, that ain't going to work. Like, I got kids to feed, you know, right? You know, I got to go back. You know, we're going to win, but we may not win because there's like 5 million people. Okay, we're not going to win, and then we're going to have nowhere to go. Like, what's what's this about? He goes, no, we're going to tell the enemy. We're going to tell the enemy that we no longer yearn for home. And we're gonna tell the enemy that we are here because we are claiming victory. And we're gonna scare the devil out of them because we mean business. That is a radical response. That is a ridiculous response. And can I tell you tonight that there's some boats tied up at the dock in this room and that God is saying, if you would please see the bigger picture, the greater picture, the abundant life that I have for you is not plan B. It's plan A. It's what Elisha did. Burn your plows. Kill the cows and follow me. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, as we go into worship, as we go into worship, as we go into this moment, tonight is about burning our plows, tonight is about burning our boats. Tonight is about declaring, no matter how difficult, no matter how costly, there's no turning back. If this message encouraged you and you wanna know more about 318 Live, go ahead and visit our website, 318live.co, and we hope that you have the best day ever.